It is uh, a privilege for me to be here, not only because I can crash your party of the very first indoor service at Mountain View Sunnyside, and also because we get to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through his word, and also it's a great day because it's a healing Sunday, so there should be time at the end of the service where we can respond by asking God who can heal to heal us physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually. But it's also a really great Sunday because last weekend I was able to celebrate my youngest daughter, Alice's second birthday, and today is my oldest daughter, Charlotte's fourth birthday. So I am super psyched and pumped. She, I think she'll be here for the next service, so if you see her, you can say happy birthday. But let us go to the word of the Lord in 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to read there about this awesome, miraculous story of a healing of a guy named Naaman, who is not an Israelite, but still God is gracious to him in healing. Uh, we'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, but if you have your Bible, whatever it is, I encourage you to pull it out and read with us together. It's a decent-sized chunk, so we'll, we'll read that together. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria, that's in Israel. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out, carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. It's the 10 sets of clothing, I think, that really puts it over the top. <laughs> the letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant, servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God to heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. 
Then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place, and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Rimmon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow to. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. That is the word of the Lord. It really is an amazing, awesome story of miraculous healing. And there are three components that I want to look at with regards to this story. And I think they have something to say for us this morning, too. Uh, so first is Naaman's condition, right? his need for healing. Second, the source of that healing, which is God. And third, the purpose of that healing. So first, Naaman's malady, his condition, his disease. See, Naaman is a great and mighty warrior. He's the commander of these armies. He's got all the wealth, all the power, all the prestige anybody could want. He's probably envied throughout the Aramean Empire. Everything looks great on the outside. And yet, despite this outward success, he has this terrible skin condition. Right, something that is surely disfiguring. It's evident on his skin. People can see it. It's probably embarrassing because of this and also could result in him being ostracized from society because maybe it's contagious. And if it's contagious, boy, he's got to get out of there away from the people so it doesn't spread. Um, he, so this is perhaps his, his reputation on the line. This is his wealth and power. This is his very standing in Aramean society on the line. So how hopeless must Naaman have felt at this moment, having seemingly on top of the world and now having this terrible skin condition? How desperate. So desperate that he's willing to go to Israel, which we shouldn't just glide over that. That's no small thing, because this very act was probably pretty dangerous. There were still tensions between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Aram, uh, stemming from military conflict, conflict you can read about just a few chapters before this in 1 Kings chapter 22. And the danger of this errand is so evident that it's right here in verse 7 where the king of Israel says, uh, I, I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me, right? He, the king of Israel says, this is a trap. I have a little image here. This is what I think of when I think of the king of Israel, right? That's some Star Wars guy, right? I don't know, because I'm not a nerd uh, like Garza. Oh. But, uh, nah, I'm kidding. Uh, wow, some boos, the boo birds are out. Good, good. Uh, but this, this is the image I think of with the king of Israel. This, this is a trap uh, because he, he, thinks he's, he thinks the king of Aram is setting him up that if he's unable to heal Naaman, which is what the king of Israel says, or king of Aram says in his letter, with this letter I present my servant Naaman, I want you to heal him of his leprosy. So he thinks if I can't heal this man, then that's going to be pretext for war, and we're going to be screwed, right? So he's frightened. He's fearful of this, and this might have been the intention. You will notice that though it's the young girl who suggests going to the prophet of Israel, none, neither of those people are mentioned in the king of Aram's letter. This could be like political subterfuge, right? This, the Bible is interesting. There's all kinds of stuff that you can find in there. Still, despite all of this, Naaman goes. He was desperate for healing, even from potential enemies, even to the point of stepping into political danger and disaster. He was hopeless. Perhaps that describes you this morning. Perhaps you're here and you're dealing with something, whatever it is. You're dealing with illness, chronic pain, disease. 
maybe a sin you just cannot stop committing, marital problems, a dead-end position at work, not enough money, kids who are out of control, something about your past that you're just trying to outrun, but you just can't, and you're hopeless. You feel desperate. Maybe everything looks great on the outside. Maybe people envy you from the outside, just like with Naaman. But you know on the inside, your, your insides churn. And you feel the depth of hopelessness and despair and desperation because you're out of ideas on how to fix it. You're willing to turn to anyone, turn to anywhere for help. Allow me this morning to play the role of the little girl in this story. Let me be the little girl. Look to God. There is someone who can provide hope for you. There is someone who can heal. There is someone who can save. There is someone who can provide hope because he is the source of all healing, all salvation, and all hope. That is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God Almighty, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know that if he heals back then, he hasn't changed. And he heals today, too. God is the source of our healing. In verse 7, when the king of Israel is utterly distraught at the prospect of potential war, he exclaims, am I God that I can give life and take it away? Part of this, I think, is surely uh, him just being scared. <laughs> he's scared. He's frightened that the king of Aram is going to come and send people to attack him. So he's like, God, I don't want to deal with this. I'm scared. Part of this sentiment, though, is simply true. Only God can heal and this is something we see borne out in the rest of this episode. See, Naaman is sent to, from the king of Israel to Elisha, this powerful prophet that this young girl tells Naaman and his wife about. So Naaman is on his way. He must be thinking, finally, finally, I'm coming to this man who is a healer. This man, this powerful man that I've heard so much about will be able to rid me of this terrible disease. And Naaman was prepared to do all that he could do to prepare the way to make this possible. He comes to the front door of Elisha's home, and he carefully uses diplomacy. Right? He, he shows up at his door with great fanfare, chariots and horses, uh, military advisors, uh, this whole military retinue. He comes with great wealth. Right? We talked about the 10 sets of clothing, uh, enough silver and gold to satisfy Yukon Cornelius, which is in my head because my girls watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer probably 15 times this year, this last Christmas. He has done the work. He has laid the groundwork. He is prepared to do all of his part so that Elisha can now do his part. He's saying, I fulfilled my end of the bargain. I brought all this stuff. I'm, I'm ready. Now you need to fulfill your end of the bargain. And this is why he is so upset when Elisha simply tells him, or Elisha doesn't even tell him. He sends his messenger to tell him, go. Right? Naaman comes all this way to see Elisha for him to heal him, and Elisha sends a messenger out and tells him to go. Go away to the Jordan River, wash seven times, and you will be healed. So Naaman is upset. He's come to this man for healing. He doesn't care about any ritualistic cleansing, any kind of ceremonial washing in some pitiful river in Israel when there are already huge, massive rivers in, in Syria. He doesn't care about the, the God of Israel. He has come for the healer to heal him. And the healer won't even come out to meet him. He needs to be convinced by his own advisors, say, well, maybe this is how Elisha will heal you. And of course, he is eventually healed. Why does Elisha do it this way? Why does he send his messenger out and have his messenger tell Naaman to go away? 
go to the Jordan River, this small river. And I think that Elisha meant to show Naaman whom was the source of this healing. See, it wasn't Naaman with his great wealth and power. It wasn't anything he brought to the table. It wasn't all his wealth, all his power, all his prestige, all his might, everything he could have brought to satisfy the gods. None of it could do anything to heal him. It was worthless. Did nothing to contribute to his healing. It wasn't on the authority of the king of Israel, who we've seen is a pretty pitiful figure in his story. It wasn't the great and powerful rivers of Syria doing some kind of healing magical formula that would make it happen. It wasn't even Elisha, because Naaman's expecting some display of power from Elisha, this powerful man he's heard so much about, this healer. One uh, commentator has said that, that, that Naaman went out to, and he expected to see, quote, a semi-magical wave of the prophetic hand, as if Elisha would come out to meet him in this grand way, wave his magic hand, and Naaman would be healed and, and all would be well. No, he says, comes, he doesn't even come out. He sends his messenger. He says, go. And this is because it's not Naaman. It's not any king. It's not any magic formula. It's not even Elisha that heals Naaman. It was God. It was God who heals Naaman. And it's always God who does the healing. And because we know he is changeless, he does so today too. Right? So as Pastor Ken has been, uh, been saying, doubt your doubts. Right? Doubt the doubt that nothing can change because nothing is impossible with our God. I'd like to invite John Swanson up, and he's going to share a story of healing, of God's healing in his life. Uh, so let's give it up for him. I haven't talked yet, so don't clap too much. Uh, for years, for most of my adult life, which I'm 38 now, so that's been a long time, I allowed several sin issues not only into my life, but allowed them to negatively influence me as a husband and as a father and as a friend. I never told anybody about it, never wanted to talk to anybody about it, and then eventually the moment came where I had to talk to somebody about it, and I knew I needed help. So I decided to give Regen a try after Edgar Escobedo came to church and talked about it and shared his story. What became apparent to me at the start of Regen, even though it's a long process and it's kind of daunting in the beginning, is that there was no sin issue that couldn't be overcome and that I was definitely not alone. I learned three key things in Regen. The first was that I can't handle the sin issues in, life, in my life alone. I came to understand that Christ is the only path to forgiveness and freedom from sin. The fight against sin can't be won without constantly allowing Jesus into your life and into the problem. The second thing I learned was that I'm important enough for God to worry about on a daily basis. Not only is the, Christ the only path to freedom from sin, he desperately wants to be part of the process. He came to this world and suffered for me, and why would his devotion stop there? The third was that people are able to love me even if they know my sin. I found that not only can people love me in spite of my sin, but that their love can become even more intense and tangible when they know my sin. Everyone struggles with sin, and because of that, there are people who love me and can see past my sin and see the person that Christ intends me to be. You might think that region is just for addictions, but it's not. If you have doubt or fear or anger in your life that you just can't seem to shake, region can give you the tools 
to break free from that. If you have any questions about it, please come talk to me. I'd love to hear it. Awesome. Uh, that is good news uh, of what Jesus does for us in our lives. And he can do that for all of us. He can heal us in every way, right? physically like Naaman, uh, spiritually and emotionally and relationally, in every way he provides this healing, this restoration. And that's really the ultimate purpose of this healing. See, when, when God heals, of course, part of the purpose is just the healing itself, right? It's, it's healing Naaman's body. It's, it's healing whatever physical ailment we have. It's healing whatever thing we're dealing with in our lives. But more than that, healing from God always points us back to him, points us to his transformative grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we see that in this story even. See, Naaman was fully healed, completely. The way it described, the way the, the language the author uses in, the, in Kings is striking. He says, his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. All right, so this is the ling linguistic echo of the young girl earlier in the story who tells Naaman to seek out the prophet in the first place. In order to experience healing, he had to, in a sense, become like her. He had to become like a young child, right? So it, 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 his healing wasn't just the disappearance of the skin condition. It wasn't just fixing around the edges. It wasn't putting a bomb over his skin. It was transformed. It was restored. It was like that of a young child. He was made completely new physically in his healing, his restoration, transformation of his body, completely, complete and total healing. But that wasn't all the Lord did, right? Just as the Lord heals him and makes his skin like that of a young child, he makes him healed and like that of a young child. Just as he needed to become like a young child outwardly with his skin, God makes him so inwardly spiritually through saving him as well. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter three. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. See, none of us can give birth to these kinds of spiritual lives. None of us can save ourselves. Our efforts at this kind of inner spiritual eternal healing are just as paltry as the efforts of Naaman. All of our wealth, all of our prestige, all of our might and power, our contributions, our works, they pale in comparison to those of the eternal God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the king of all kings and lord of all lords. What we need is not anything we can offer or someone else that we know can provide. What we need is grace. We need God to do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. And so he does. God the Father sends Jesus Christ, God the Son, to be born as a human being, live the perfect life, suffer for our sakes, die on a cross, bearing the weight, the burden of our sins, and then rising again in power over those sins for us so that we could be born again, so that we could be made spiritually 
like children. And to experience a hope that can never be dimmed, a joy that overcomes all of our circumstances, and a a peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus heals us. Jesus saves us. Jesus restores us. God did this for Naaman. Not only did he heal him of his skin condition, we also read he heals him of his spiritual condition. And Naaman goes home praising the name of the Lord as the Lord. No longer would he place all of his hopes and dreams in the false idols of this world and the fame and glory that his positions of power and wealth offered him. Rather, he humbled himself and placed his faith in his healer, which is not any other man, but it was God Almighty. This is the transformative power of the gospel for Naaman and for all of us today. See, Naaman's skin was made new, but so was he. And God makes us new today too by the transformative power of his grace. He heals us in every way, physically, relationally, mentally, and spiritually and eternally. He does so not based on our good works, right? It wasn't the power of the works, the contributions of Naaman or Elisha that did it. He does so not based on our standing before him and how good we are. Naaman himself, he's not an Israelite. He's an outsider. He's a foreigner, someone who is ceremonially unclean, not deserving of any healing from God, but God was gracious to him. So no matter what level of faith you feel like you are bringing to the table today, no matter if you feel like you've committed so many sins, the Lord could never accept you as you are. No matter if you've dealt with this problem, whatever it is that you're dealing with for so long, you can't even remember what life was like before it. No matter if you feel hopeless or desperate today, God's grace is for you. It is for for healing, for restoration, for salvation, for transformation. God's grace is for you.